of San Juan, a novel. Forward. The Bells. He who has not heard the bells of San Juan has a journey to make. He who has not set foot upon the dusty road, which is the one street of San Juan, at times the most silent, deserted of thoroughfares, at other times a mad and turbulent lane between sun-dried adobe walls, may yet learn something of man and his hopes, desires, fears, and ruder persuasion from a pinpoint upon the great southwestern map. The street runs due north and south, pointing like a compass to the flat gray desert in one direction, and in the other to the broken hills swept up into the San Juan Mountains. At the northern end, that is, toward the more inviting mountains, is the old mission. To right and left of the whitewashed corridors, in a straggling garden of pear-trees and olives and yellow roses, are two rude arches made of seasoned cedar. From the top cross-beam of each hang three bells. They have their history, these bells of San Juan, and the biggest, with its deep, mellow voice, the smallest, with its golden chimes, seem to be chanting it when they ring. Each swinging tongue has its tale to tell, a tale of old Spain, of Spanish galleons, of Spanish gentlemen adventurers, of gentle-voiced priests and somber-eyed Indians, of conquest, revolt, intrigue, and sudden death. When a baby is born in San Juan, a rarer occurrence than a strong man's death, the littlest of the bells upon the western arch laughs while it calls to all to hearken. When a man is killed, the angry-toned bell pendant from the eastern arch shouts out the word to go, billowing across the stretches of sage and greasewood and gamma grass. If one of the latter-day frame buildings bursts into flame, Ignacio Chavez warns the town with a strident clamor, tugging frantically be it wedding or discovery of gold or returns from the country elections. The bell-ringer cunningly makes the bells talk. Out on the desert a man might stop and listen, forming his surmise as the sounds surged to meet him through the heat and silence. He might smile if he knew San Juan as he caught the jubilant message tapped swiftly out of the bronze bell which had come, men said, with Coronado. He might sigh at the lugubrious, slow, swelling voice of the big bell, which had come hitherward long ago with the retinue of Marco di Niza, wondering what old friend or enemy, perchance, had at last closed his ears to all of Ignacio Chavez's music, or at a sudden fury of clanging the man far out on the desert might hurry on, goading his burrow impatiently to know what great event had occurred in the old adobe town of San Juan. It is three hundred and fifty years and more since the six bells of San Juan came into the New World to toll across that land of quiet mystery, which is the Southwest. It is a hundred years since an all-but-forgotten priest, Francesco Calderon, found them in various devastated mission churches, assembled them, and set them chiming in the old garden. There, among the pear-trees and olives and yellow roses, they still cast their shadows in sun and moonlight, in silence and in echoing chimes. End of Introduction Chapter 1 The Bells Ring Ignacio Chavez, Mexican that he styled himself, Indian that the community deemed him, or breed, of badly mixed blood that he probably was, made his loitering way along the street toward the mission, a thin, yellowish-brown cigarita dangling from his lips, his wide dilapidated conical hat tilted to the left side of his head in a listless sort of concession 
to the westering sun. He was, as was customary with him, utterly at peace. Ten minutes ago he had twenty cents. Two minutes after the acquisition of his elusive wealth, he had exchanged the two dimes for whiskey at the Casa Blanca. The remaining eight minutes of the ten he required to make his way, as he naively put it, between hell and heaven. For from a corner of the peaceful old mission garden at one end of the long street, one might catch a glimpse of the Casablanca at the other end, sprawling in the sun. Between the two sturdy-walled buildings had the town strung itself as it grew. As old a relic as the church itself was La Casablanca, and since San Juan could remember in all matters antipedal to the religious calm of the Padre's monument, deep shaded doorways let into the three-foot-thick earthen walls, waxed floors, green tables, and bar and cool-looking glasses, place which invited, lured, held, and frequently enough damned. San Juan, in the languid philosophy of Ignacio Chavez, was what you will. It epitomized the universe. You had everything here which the soul of man might covet. Never having dwelt elsewhere since his mother bore him here upon the rim of the desert, and with the San Juan Mountains so near that Ignacio Chavez pridefully knew a man standing upon the Mesa Alta might hear the ringing of his bells, he experienced a pitying contempt for all those other spots in the world which were so plainly less favored. What do you wish, senor? Fine warm days? You have them here. Nice cool nights for sound slumber? Right here in San Juan, amigo mio. A desert across which the eye may run without stopping until it be tired, a wonderful desert whereupon at dawn and dusk God weaves all the alluring soft mists of mystery. Shaded canyons at noonday with water and birds and flowers. Behold the mountains, everything desirable in short. That there might be men who desired the splash of waves, the sheen of wet beaches, the boom of surf, did not suggest itself to one who had never seen the ocean. So then, San Juan was what you will. A man may fix his eye upon the little mission cross, which is always pointing to heaven and God, or he may pass through the shaded doors of the Casablanca, which, men say, give pathway into hell, the shortest way. Ignacio, having meditatively enjoyed his whiskey and listened smilingly to the tinkle of a mandolin in the patio under a grapevine arbor, had rolled his cigarette and turned his back square upon the devil, of whom he had no longer anything to ask. As he went out and stopped in the doorway long enough to rub his back against a corner of the wall and to strike a match, then, almost inaudibly humming the mandolin air, he slouched out into the burning street. For twenty years he had striven with the weeds in the mission garden, and no man during that time dared say which had had the best of it, Ignacio Chavez or the interloping Alferia and Purslane. In the matters of a vast leisureness and tumbling along the easiest way they resembled each other these two avowed enemies. For twenty years he had looked upon the bells as his own, and filled his eye with them, day after day, had thought the first thing in the morning to see that they were there, regarding them as solicitously in the rare rainy weather as his old mother regarded her few mongrel chicks. Twenty full years, and yet Ignacio Chavez was not more than thirty years old, or thirty-five perhaps. He did not know, no one cared. 
He was on his way to attack with his bare brown hands some of the weeds which were spilling over into the walk which led through the garden and to the priest's house. As a matter of fact, he had awakened with his purpose in mind, had gone his lazy way all day fully purposing to give it his attention, and had at last arrived upon the scene. The front gate had finally broken, the upper hinge worn out. Ignacio carefully set the ramshackly wooden affair back against the fence, thinking how one of these days he would repair it. Then he went between the bigger pear tree and the Lovia de Oro, which his own hands had planted here, and stood with legs well apart, considering the three bells upon the easterly arc. Hey, amigos!' he greeted them. "'Do you know what I am going to do for you some fine day? I will build a little roof over you that runs down both ways to shut out the water when it rains. It will make you hoarse, too much wet.' That was one of the few dreams of Ignacio's life. One day he was going to make a little roof over each arch, but today he merely regarded affectionately the captain. That was the biggest of the bells, the dancer, second in size, and Lolita, the smallest upon this arch. Then he sighed and turned toward the other arch, across the garden, to see how it was with the little one, La Goldirina and Ignacio Chavez. For it was only fair that at least one of the six should bear his name. Changing his direction thus, moving directly toward the dropping sun, he shifted his hat well over his eyes, and so was constrained to note how the weeds were asserting themselves with renewed insolence. He muttered a soft, maldito, at them which might have been mistaken for a caress and determined upon a merciless campaign of extermination just as soon as he could have fitted a new handle to his hoe. Then he paused in front of the mission steps and lifted his hat, made an elegant bow, and smiled in his own innumerable, remarkably fascinating way. For under the ragged brim, his eyes had caught a glimpse of a pretty pair of patent-leather slippers, a prettier pair of black-stockinged ankles, and the hem of a white-starched skirt. Nowhere are their eyes like the eyes of old Mexico, deep and soft and soulful, though the man himself may have a soul like a bit of charred leather, velvety and tender, though they may belong to an out-and-out cutthroat, expressive, eloquent even, though they are the eyes of a peon with no mind to speak of, night-black, and like the night filled with mystery. Ignacio Chavez, lifted such eyes to the eyes of the girl who had been watching him so spontaneously, gave her the last iota of his ready admiration. It is a fine day, senorita, he told her, displaying two glistening rows of superb teeth, friendly wise, and the garden, a que he mas bonito en todo el mundo. You like it, no? It was slow music when Ignacio Chavez spoke, all liquid sounds and tender cadences. When he had cursed the weeds, it was like love-making. A D in his mouth became to soften from the lips of such as the bell-ringer of San Juan. The snapping gringo oath comes metamorphized into a gentle, God damn! The girl to whom the speech of Chavez was something as new and strange as the face of the earth about her, regarded him with grave, cautious eyes. She was seated against the mission wall upon the little bench, which no one but Ignacio guessed was to be painted green one of these divine days, 
a bronze-haired, gray-eyed girl in white skirt and waist, and with a wide Panama hat caught between her clasped hands and her knee. For a moment she was perhaps wondering how to take him. Then, with a suddenness that had been all unheralded in her former gravity, she smiled, with lips and eyes together as though she accepted his friendship. Ignacio's own smile broadened, and he nodded his delight. It is truly beautiful here, she admitted, and had Ignacio possessed a tithe of that sympathetic comprehension which his eyes lied about, he would have detected a little note of eagerness in her voice, would have guessed that she was lonely and craved human companionship. I've been sitting here for an hour or two. You are not going to send me away, are you? Ignacio looked perfectly horrified. If I was an angel here in this garden, senorita, he exclaimed, would I say zappi to it? No, no, senorita, here you shall stay a thousand years if you wish, I swear. He was all sincerity, Ignacio Chavez, would no sooner think of being rude to a beautiful young woman than saying scat to an angel. But as to staying here a thousand years, she glanced through the tangle of the garden to the tiny graveyard and shook her head. You have just come to San Juan, he asked. Today? Yes, she told him. On a stage at noon. You have friends here. Again she shook her head. Ah, said Ignacio. He straightened for a brief instant, and she could see how the chest under his shirt inflated. A tourist. You have heard of this garden, maybe, and the bells? So you traveled across the desert to see. The third time she shook her head. I have come here to live, she returned quietly. But not at all alone, senorita. Yes, she smiled at him, all alone. Mother of God, he said within himself, and presently to her, I did not see the stage come to-day. In San Juan, one takes his siesta at that hour, and it is not often that the stage brings no people from the railroad. In some subtle way he had made of his explanation an apology. While his slow brown fingers rolled a cigarette, he stared away through the garden and across the desert with an expression half melancholy, half merely meditative which made the girl wonder what his thoughts were. When she came to know him better, she would know, too, that at times like this he was not thinking at all. "'I believe this is the most profoundly peaceful place in the world,' she said quietly, half listlessly, setting into words the impression which had clung about her throughout the long, still day. "'It is like a strange dream-town. One sees no one moving about, hears nothing. It is just a little sad, isn't it?" He had followed her until the end, comprehending. But sad? How that? It was just as it should be, to ears which had never been filled with the noises of rushing trains and cars and all of the traffic of a city. What sadness could there be in a very natural calm of the rim of the desert? Having no satisfactory reply to make, Ignacio merely muttered, "'Si, senorita.' somewhat helplessly, and let it go with that. "'Tell me,' she continued, sitting up a little and seeming to throw off the oppressively heavy spell of her environment, "'who are the important people hereabouts?' "'La gente? Oh, Ignacio knew them well, all of them. There was Signor Engel, to begin with, the banker of whom no doubt she had heard. He owned a big residencia just yonder, 
you could catch the gleam of its white walls through a clump of cottonwoods withdrawn aloofly from san juan street many men worked for him he had big cattle and sheep ranches throughout the country he paid well and loaned out much money also he had a beautiful wife and a truly marvelously beautiful daughter and horses such as one could not look upon elsewhere then there was senor notron as ignacio pronounced him a sincere friend of ignacio chavez and a man fearless and true and extravagantly to be admired who it appeared was the sheriff not a family man he was too young yet but soon oh one could see it would be ignacio who would ring the bells for the wedding when ricardo notron married himself with the daughter of the banker he is what you call a gunman isn't he asked the girl interested i heard two of the men on the stage talking of him they called him roddy norton he is one isn't he so are all sure he was the one a gunman ignacio shrugged he was sheriff and what must a sheriff be if not a gunman on the stage continued the girl was a man they called doc and another named galloway they are san juan men are they not ignacio lifted his brows a shade disdainfully they were both san juan citizens but obviously not to his liking jim galloway was a big man yes uh, but of uh, la gentre never the senorita should look the other way when he passed he owned the casa blanca that was enough to ticket him and ignacio passed quickly to el senor doctor oh he was smart and did much good for the sick but the poor mexican who called him for a bedridden wife must first sell something and show the money beyond these it appeared that the enviable class of san juan consisted of the padre jose who was at present and much of the time away visiting the poor and sick throughout the countryside julia strove who owned and operated the local hotel one of the lesser luminaries though a portly gentleman with an amiable wife the porters who had a farm off to the northwest and whose connection to san juan lay in the fact that an old maid daughter taught the school here various other individuals and family groups to be disposed of with a word and a careless wave of a cigarette already for the fair stranger ignacio had skimmed the cream of the cream the girl sighed as though her question had been no idle one and his reply had disappointed her for a moment her brows gathered slightly into a frown that was like a faint shadow then she smiled again brightly a quick smile which seemed more at home in her eyes than the frown had been ignacio glanced from her to the weeds then squinting his eyes at the sun there was ample time it would be cooler presently so describing a respectful arc about her he approached the mission wall slipped into the shade and eased himself in characteristic indolence against the whitewashed adobe she appeared willing to talk with him well then what pleasanter way to spend an afternoon she sought to learn this and that of the land new to her who to explain more knowingly than ignacio chavez after a little he would pluck some of the newly opened yellow rosebuds for her making her a little speech about herself and budding flowers he would even perhaps show her his bells let her hear just the suspicion of a note from each a sharp sound came to her abruptly out of the utter stillness but meant nothing to her she saw a flock of pigeons rise above the roofs of the more distant houses circle swerve and disappear beyond the cottonwoods 
She noted that Ignacio was no longer leaning lazily against the wall. He had stiffened, his mouth was a little open, breathless, his attitude that of one listening expectantly, his eyes squinting as they had been just now when he fronted the sun. Then came the second sound, a repetition of the first, sharp, in some way sinister, then another and another and another, until she lost count, a man's voice carrying out strangely muffled, indistinct, seeming to come from afar. It was an incorrigious, almost humorous thing to see the sun-warm passivity of Ignacio Chavez metamorphosed in a flash into activity. He muttered something, leaped away from the mission wall, dashed through the tangle of the garden, and raced like a madman to the eastern arch. With both hands he grasped the dangling bell-ropes. With all of his might he set them clanging and shouting and clamoring until the reverberations smote her ears and set the blood tingling strangely through her. She had seen the look upon his face. Suddenly she knew that those little sharp sounds had been the rattle of pistol-shots. She sprang to her feet, her eyes widening. Now all was quiet save for the boom and roar of the bells. The pigeons were circling high in the clear sky, were coming back. She went quickly the way Ignacio had gone, calling out to him, What is it? He seemed all unmoved now as he made his bells cry out for him. It was for him to be calm while they trembled with the event which surely they must understand. It is a man dead, he told her, as his right hand called upon the captain for a volume of sound from his bronze throat. You will see, and there will be more work for Ricardo Norton. He sighed and shook his head, and for a moment spoke softly with his jingling bells. And some day, he continued quietly, it will be Rodrigo's time, no? And I will ring the bells for him, and the captain, and the dancer, and Lolita. They will all put tears into men's eyes. But first, Santa Maria, let it be that I ring the others for him when he marries himself with the banker's daughter. Man dead, the girl repeated, unwilling to grasp fully. You will see, returned Ignacio. End of chapter 1